0: All right, so Sunday, January the 7th, 2024, for the people on the tape, um, lesson number 10, uh, J- the Jerusalem project with Nehemiah, and I'm going to read one through eight, and kind of do a review real quick, and then we'll go down with uh, part of the rest of the chapter. So Nehemiah chapter eight, one through eight, and it says, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. I wonder where they got that from. You know, when Nixon was around in nineteen, and, you know when that was. You reckon that Watergate's named after this gate? I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would. I would almost imagine it is. Oh well, we'll keep going. And uh, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe, bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord hath commanded to Israel. Now who's 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 asking for it right now? In, in verse one. Or the people, right? I think it's a combination. That's kind of a trick question. It's all of them and we'll look at that. But anyway, we see the people in there. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the what month? Seventh. Seventh month. And we're going to look at that a little bit more. And he read therein before the street. What street was it? The street in front of the water gate. Okay. That was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe, have you noticed it calls him Ezra the scribe, Ezra the priest? I'm like, okay, now which one is it? Now let me give you a, a rule of Bob. Whenever you have a question like that in the Bible, it's always both. I've sat there and racked my brain with things before, and it's finally like finally the Holy Spirit has finally said, You know what? It's both. <laughs> that's not a, there's not a mistake, it's both. So here we he is a, a, a priest, but he's also a scribe. And that's where the scribe, verse four, stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood uh Matthiah and Shema and Ani. In Eurasia, and Hilkiah, and Messiah, and the, on the right hand, and on his left hand, Padiah, and Meshel and Malchiah, and Hashem, and Hashbadana, and Zechariah, and Meshelim, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all the people, because of the pulpit. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord and their faces to the ground. And Jeshua, and Bani, and Sherebiah, Jamin, Echub, Shebethai, Hadajah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Paliah and the Levites caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place and so they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Okay, so let's stop right there. So, uh, again, nothing new much from what I had a couple of weeks ago. Worship here is initiated. It was initiated by these three groups. By God's Word, by God's men, and by God's people. It took a combination of all of them. And here in Ezra, it's, it's kind of reversed, but we know it's always God first. It's always God uh, moving. And in fact, it, in, I think Carrie and I were talking about on the way down here. You know, God moves and somebody countermoves. Who, who countermoves? Satan does. And then what does God do? He moves again. And then we see another counter move. And so God is always the first one to move. You know, at the very beginning, Genesis, and the Spirit moved upon the face of the waters. God is always moving. And so, so we have those three bullet points. Worship is initiated by God's people, by God's men, the priests and the Levites, and by God's word. Okay, and that will always be. That will always be the case. Number two, preaching was instilled. And verse 8 is the key verse. It says, So they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Okay? So the, the book was read distinctly, the sense was given, and the people were caused to understand the words. Okay? Now let me tell you, that is the best definition of preaching. Because it's right out of God's word. That's it. If you want to if you write in your Bible, you can put that's a definition of preaching right there. Okay, that is preaching. Preaching is a message of God to a particular group of people using a you have a blank there, a man to get God's message across. Now for all you women pe- that are upset with me because I didn't put women in there. I'm just telling you what the book says. Okay? Uh, not that women can't teach. They can. But basically when it comes to preaching, especially in the church, it's, it's obligated and commanded for the men to do that. So preaching is the message of God to a particular group of people using a man to get... Whose message across? God's message. How many of you have sat under preachers or have seen preachers? And they get up and they read a verse, or they read a couple verses, and the next thing they're talking about everything under the sun. Hopefully that's not me, but but I, I've been to, and they're like they're talking about what happened on the news, what's going on in Washington, uh, you know, some some event went on, and I'm like, get back to the book. It's got to be God's message because if it's my message, it's not worth listening to. Okay, kinda like my jokes. So, I mean, they're not, they're not worth it. So, it has to be God's message. And so, preaching is just not what you say, but what the people understand in that verse. And so, that's something when you are speaking, and I've had to learn this, and I'm not always really good about it, is that you gotta make sure that the people can hear what you're saying. Last year, I was doing, uh, uh, the Lunch and learn for the Bible conference, and I'm up there speaking away and then Brian comes up and pu- pulls the volume up and I'm like because the people couldn't hear and i I didn't catch that, but he's in the audience too, so he had a little advantage of me so he's like okay let's make sure they can hear so uh, they, um, they brought the the volume up um, they have to the the audience needs to hear what God is giving you to say, and they need to understand it. Several years ago, I was in Uganda, and I was at a high school. And It's funny, I can't go to a high school here and preach the gospel, but I can go to Africa and preach the gospel at a high school. And we're outside, and it's, it's pretty rough. It's just tarps over you know, some sticks, basically, to what it looked like, some posts. And I'm out there, and the missionary's like, okay, you won't need it, you won't need... Bob, again, here it comes. You talk slow enough, and you don't use big words, so they'll be able to understand you. No problem. And so I start teaching and my lesson, I'm getting through it and finally the missionary steps up, or stop, or stands up and he raises his hand, he goes, can everybody, does everybody understand what he's saying? About half the people could not understand what I'm saying. So he had to come up and interpret in a different language for me. And so, again, it didn't do any good if they couldn't hear. And, and again, that kind of brings me right back. Why do we put Bibles out to different languages and people groups? so they can understand. And it's so much better if they have it in their heart language. And so that's why we're working with groups in Africa and different places to get a language, Albania, different places, to get a Bible in the language that the people can understand. So you have to... Preaching is not what you say but what they understand. That's why my wife has to interpret for me sometimes because nobody understands what I'm saying. Okay? It's always been like that. You know, once in a while, when I'm teaching, I'll, I'll I'll speak and then I'll sit down. Somebody will ask me something, and my brain goes blank because I I don't even remember what I said. Other times I get up and I, I got it etched in my brain. I can tell you four weeks from now what what the three points were. <laughs> That's just kind of how it goes. But the point I'm trying to get is you've got to be able to communicate God's word where the people can understand. That's preaching, okay. One more illustration. I'll keep moving. When I when I was in I think tenth grade, I don't know about you guys, but algebra was not real was not my best subject. I did good on math. Algebra, not so good. I had this teacher by the name of Mr. Miller. I still remember him. I went up to him and I said, "Mr. Miller, I said I got I got a question on this one this one problem here." I, I don't, I don't get it. And he, and he looks at it and he goes, well, what don't you understand? And I'm like, if I understood it, I wouldn't be standing here. You know, that's what I'm thinking in my mind. And so, boy, that got me. And I'm like, dude, I'm up here asking you for some help and you're telling me, well, what is it that you don't understand about the question? And to give you a little more story about, about what went on. I think we, we, we had a test and then he had people, he picked people come, to come up and write their answer on all the chalkboards around the glass. And I'm, I think I flunked that test. But he picked me to do one of the, the, the questions. Or one of the problems. problems. And it just happened to be one I got right. <laughs> and I am so thrilled. So I remember going up to to the chalkboard, chalkboard's then, Don't going through the chalkboard, putting it all out. I get down and, and sit down. and I'm so happy, man. I'm doing good, man. He called and my luck is doing great, you know. Well, just wait. And so he goes around to all the other answers and he comes over to this one and he's like... <laughs> and he goes... Whoever did this got the right answer, but they did it totally wrong. (laughs) And I'm like, and then I started sinking down in my chair, you know. But I never forgot that. I'm like, what don't I understand? You've got to be, you've got to, you've got to get understanding across. Okay. And so again, that's kind of all where we were at. Now we're caught up to date. Nehemiah chapter 8. And uh, I want to read 9 through 12 says, so, and Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe. Okay, now now we got them both together. Okay. And the Levites that taught the people said unto the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We heard that uh, yesterday at the funeral, didn't we? If you were paying attention. So For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levite stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood, there's that understood again, understood the words that were declared unto them. So let's unpack this just a little bit. I'm going to talk about, number one, the importance of the day. What was important about the day? Well, let's go back to verse one of chapter eight just to see. I know I think we're going to have to go to two, but I'll read one and two again. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street, which was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding upon the what? The first day of the seventh month. And I don't know if you ever picked up on things I've said before, but here's one thing you need to pick up on. God doesn't waste space in His book. If there's, if it's in the book, there's a reason for it to be there. It may, we may have questions that may take our whole life to, to figure that out. I I remember having questions. I always have questions. I'm sitting there and I'm listening to Brian a year after this. And it's like God showed me the answer to the question that I've been looking for for a year through Brian's preaching. Is that amazing? Now, let me give you one more thing. He wasn't even preaching on anything close to what I was looking for. I mean, he's on a totally different subject and all of a sudden... I'm like, it just dawned. I'm like, oh, I got I got the answer to my question, but it didn't have anything to do with what Brian said, but somehow I got it. Don't ask me how that happened, but I'm just weird, I guess. <laughs> so the importance of the day. The day was the first day of the seventh month. Okay, so your handout, the bullet point, says it was the day that the Feast of Trumpets was to be celebrated. Okay. So um what's the deal with the Feast of Trumpets? Okay. Well, I'm I'm glad you asked. Let's go back to uh, Leviticus chapter 23 and we're going to look at it. So you'll see here in Leviticus about 23, you'll see the seven feasts, but I want you to jump down to... um, 2323. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, Speak unto the children of Israel saying, In the seventh month on the, what day? First day day of the month shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, and holy convocation, and ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And then it goes on talking about the rest of the feast there. But so the importance of the day, well the day was the first day of the seventh month. And it was the day that the Feast of Trumpets was to be celebrated. That day was, was to be a Sabbath. In our, in the context here, or in the text here in Leviticus. A Sabbath is a day of ceasing from, ceasing from working. Okay? It wasn't always on their Saturdays. Some of their Sabbaths were during the week. Like this one would not always hit on it on a Saturday, which is their normal Sabbath. This was a different Sabbath. So this beginning uh, on the first day of the month, of the seventh month, was a Sabbath. And it was a day uh, of, of mem- a memorial, of blowing of trumpets. So you're like, okay, so why trumpets, Bob? Again, I'm glad you asked. Turn over to Numbers chapter ten. I think it's in your handout there. So here we go through our little rabbit trail going through things that we're doing, right? Uh Numbers Numbers ten one through ten. I'm just going to read that and follow along with me. And now they're they're in the wilderness, going through with Moses, the people are. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Make thee two trumpets of silver. Of a whole piece shalt thou make them, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And if they blow but with one trumpet... Then the princes, which are heads of the thousands of Israel, shall gather themselves unto thee. And when ye blow an alarm, then the camps that lie on the east part shall go forward. And when ye blow an alarm the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall take their journey, and they shall blow an alarm for their journeys. But when the congregation is to be gathered together, ye shall blow, but ye shall not sound an alarm. So there must be different ways of blowing this horn. Different sounds that you would make with it. Verse 8, "...and the sons of Aaron the priest shall blow with the trumpets, and they shall be to you for an ordinance forever throughout your generations. And if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and you shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies." Uh, let 's see and then verse ten, also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days and in the beginnings of your months, you shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings that they may be to you for a memorial before your God, I am the Lord, your God, so back in the wilderness, when Moses is leading the group through to get to the promised land, in the middle of that, there is the God tells uh, Moses to have two trumpets made for the priest to call the assembly together. Okay? And so on this day that we read in Leviticus, that day was to be summoned by the blowing of these trumpets. Okay? That's why it's called the Feast of Trumpets. I even figured that one out. I didn't have to get any other other study. I pretty well got that the first time. Just joking. But anyway, so the day was a memorial blowing of trumpets and this day was to be a holy convocation. So again, there's one of those words that I don't use all the time. So what do I have to do? Go back and study that out. So this day was to be a holy convocation, which means a, a holy calling together. It's in calling the, the, the nation of Israel together. And the day was to be a day of joy. Joy goes in your blank there. But yet, we just read back in Nehemiah that when they were doing this, the people were, were weeping. And, the, and, the, uh, uh, Ezra's telling them, no, no guys, this is supposed to be a day of joy. So, that's the, that's the importance of the day. Okay? Let's turn over to page two. So you might ask me, okay, Bob, what's, what, you, you know, you made a big deal about the day, so what's really, what's, what's the importance of the feast? So we're going to look at that okay uh, so um, we again all the feasts are recorded in Leviticus chapter twenty three and then we have four feasts in the spring, three feasts in the fall with a break in between but before uh, uh, let's go back to Romans chapter fifteen four. why do we want to study what these feasts why is that important to us? So let's go to Romans fifteen four. somebody gets there, I'll just have them read it. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. That's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible right there. But it says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime. So this is New Testament writing. Paul's writing to the Romans. And he says... "What." Soever things were written aforetime, were for our learning. What things is he talking about? The Old Testament. The Old Testament. So the Old Testament is for a new believer to learn, because you know a lot. Of, I, I will, I'll tell you about myself. I can't pick on everybody else, but I'll pick on me. There was a time in my life, and I'm like, you know what? I really don't want to study the Old Testament, because the New Testament's where it is. I'm part of the church. The Old Testament's old. I didn't want to read the new. And I'm like, it took me a while to figure this out. That you got to have the old to figure out the new. And you've got to have the new to figure out the old. It's a package deal. And so he says, you need to study the Old Testament. So why do we need to know the feast? They're in the Old Testament. How do they relate to us? You're asking good questions. We'll see if we can get something going. So you're already in Romans. Turn over to Colossians chapter 2. Again, I gotta get Colossians in as much as I can. Colossians chapter 2, 16 and 17 says, if I got the right verse, which I don't think I do, Hang on just a minute. Huh. Well, uh, no wonder I can't find out because I'm looking in one. I'm like, it doesn't fit. 2.16 and 17 says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. And those are all things we really don't pay attention to. I don't pay attention to, to Basically, they're talking about holiday holy days in the Old Testament or even then, or of the new moons. Does anybody go by the new moon to do anything? You know, my grandfather had a farmer's almanac. Of course, he's a farmer. And then he would go by the moon. Well, we can't plant this because the moon phase isn't right. And I didn't really pay attention to that. I just paid attention to the days that the fishing was good or not. And I'm like... And most of the time the fishing was not good and I still went fishing. (laughs) So I didn't pay a lot of attention. But, you know, I don't go by the new moons. you know. And even today, we know our calendar is based off the sun, right? But yet in the Jewish timetable, it's the moons. The phases of the moons and the new moons are, are big. And yet we don't really study those either. So if you want another study to do at home... Go back and look at the the phases of the moon and the new moons and all the things that God institutes in the Old Testament to do with the moon. I don't know you. Maybe you'll find that out. But a lot of calendars do have the phases marked. If you looked at them, they do. Have well, I know people that uh, that are into that stuff. So that yeah, they don't do anything without looking at their. Horoscope, I call it. Or, you know, the things that's, you know. No, astrology. 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 Yeah. yeah, they, I mean, they're big in, like, oh We're no, we can't away. do that. You know, there are people like, have you ever met anybody that, that Friday the 13th is bad news? Mm-hmm. I remember. June it's what? June 13th. It's June 13th. Thir- that's a bad day? That's a bad day. Okay. <laughs> so, so I am being taped. But anyway, I remember this old man, and he's like, he's kind of a radical guy anyway. And I, I met him, and he was telling me, "Hey, on the, you, you go. To, I go to work, and a black cat crosses my path, I turn around and go home and go to bed." <laughs> okay. And so I had an uncle that was—he's was a little slow, and he was working with me, and uh, we're driving down the road, and guess what? Black cat comes across. The the problem was we heard a thump. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) David knows knows his story. I've told him. And then my uncle's like, oh, oh. He goes, bad, bad. That's bad, Bob. Black cat coming across. And I looked at him and it's my uncle. And I'm like, I loved him dear. But he kind of, it was again... Probably going off of Grandma and Grandpa, you know, doing the moon thing and all that. He's like, oh, that's bad. Black cat crossed our path. I said, but technically, did he get across our path? And he sat there for a minute. He slapped his slate. He goes, by golly, you're right. He didn't make it all the way across. And he starts laughing about it. And I'm like, that's kind of funny. But I mean, this is serious news to some people. Okay, so where was I? Okay. Okay. 16 and 17, right? Okay, so let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or any respect of Holy Day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are what? A shadow of things to come. Interesting. So if we have this idea that the, the Old Testament feast was for the Old Testament and they're done with and gone, we better look again. We had better look again. Okay? And so, uh let's look at this. We got four feasts in the spring, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits and Pentecost. Okay? And so all of those have connections with Christ, his his death, burial, and resurrection. All of them. Okay? And the Bible says that He is our Passover. Okay? So they have direct connections with the church, but yet they're still Jewish holidays. Okay. And then we have a four-month interval between the harvest is gathered. And then we have some fall festivals, which are on your list, number one, the Feast of Trumpets, which we're at in Nehemiah. Okay, which should have been happening that day. And so then we have the Day of Atonement, which is on the 10th of the month. So, just in nine more days after the Feast of Trumpets is this Day of Atonement. And then, just a few days after that is the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, So, the Feast of Trumpets is a calling or a recalling of the people back into the land of Israel. The Feast of Trumpets was originally done when Joshua brought the people into the Promised Land. That feast was initiated. God gave it to them in the wilderness, but when they got in, He gave them a lot of things that when you get into land, you need to start doing this as a memorial. Now, we just went through the Lord's Supper last week, and that's a memorial, right? And so they were doing this as a memorial, okay? So it was done under Joshua, and then it's under Ezra and Nehemiah right here in chapter 8 of Nehemiah. It doesn't really come out and explain it here, but they are that's what they're trying to get across in this point. They, that's the right day, the right time, and they are back in the land. And I don't see that when Zerubbabel got brought back in. I don't see that under Ezra. And it's not till Nehemiah comes along that everything kind of got put together. And we've talked about that before. And so it's done under Joshua, it's done under Ezra and Nehemiah, but that's not all. And it will be also done by Christ at His second coming. So when Christ comes back at His second coming, it's going to be another gathering of the people in the land of Israel. Of course, we kind of, we know that. He's going to come in and he's going to be the rightful king and he's going to set things up for the millennial reign. So this feast of tr- and guess what? They're going to be, there's going to be a trumpet there, I guarantee you. It'll be, and this first feast of trumpets way back there when they got in the land under, under Joshua was just a pattern of things to come. Okay? So we're seeing it in Nehemiah. We know it's going to come back again. And so since Christ will re, uh, well, let me stop there for just a minute. So, trumpets were used in this festival. But you know what? In the New Testament, we see trumpets also. Okay, so trumpets will be used to call out some people in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. So, let's go and look at that. And I know you guys know where I'm going. 1 Corinthians 51, I'm sorry, 15, 51 through 52 says. Alright, everybody there? Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And so we could go on and read the rest of that. But yet, in our rapture, there's going to be a trumpet. Okay? And so turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, kind of fits right along with that. says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if ye believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord And so when we are raptured out of here, there is going to be a trumpet. But yet, if we study this out a little farther, we'll find out there's two trumpets. Well, wait, well, then wait a minute. Where are you getting that, Bob? Well, I can't really nail it completely down. But at the beginning, how many were, were made back in the book of, of uh, Numbers? Two. There was two. two. So from what I can understand is there will be two trumpets blared, one for the people that are dead in the ground for their bodies to come up and one for us. And I don't know if there's going to be much time in between them. I think it's just going to be ta-da-da-da. That's it. I don't know. We'll find out here pretty quick. But it's interesting. Why do we need to know about the trumpets? Because again, they are a shadow of things to come. And yet we need to know those Old Testaments with the New Testament, okay? And how does it fit with us? Okay, so back to our handout. So, since, in the middle of that uh, paragraph on page 2, about halfway through, it says, Since Christ will regather the Jews back into the land at His second coming, where are we at in time right now? So, okay, let's go back and look at the feast again with Israel. We had four in the spring... Three in the fall, what happened in between? What were the people doing? They were harvesting. harvesting. Imagine that. So right now, the time we live in is known as, we are in a time of harvest. Harvest goes in your blank. And it's also known as the church age. So do you see how the, the Old Testament uh, Feast of Trumpets is, is a foreshadow of things coming and it's really a picture of us and what's going to happen to us at, at the rapture. So again, if you, you were like me and you had this attitude, well, I don't need to know the Old Testament feast. But everything in our Bible fits together like a glove. And so we need to understand the Old Testament and understand the New, like I said, and vice versa. And so we, you know, so maybe you had this attitude like, you know, I really don't need to study this out yeah, we need to study everything in God's Word. We need, we need to see those things in the Old Testament because it seems like what, what, what goes around comes around. Or what comes around goes around. I don't know which way is right. It's sort of like of Christ's death and resurrection. It were, they weren't happenstance. They were exactly on the peace, feasts of Passover unleavened Bread and then Pentecost later on. I mean, they were just perfectly placed. Right. Oh my God. beautiful thing uh, exam- and an example of that is is a Jewish person today that, that gets saved and then they see the Old Testament comes alive to them and they 're called Messianic jews that 's what they call them themselves and I heard a man talking this week, and he was a messianic jew but but i see- they just see the Old Testament being fulfilled and they see everything in it. you know the scribes and the Pharisees went, that was teaching when Christ was here they were teach- the Bible calls it they were doing uh, the Jews' religion or the Jews' traditions because they had left God's and was doing their own. Okay? So everything kind of goes around, comes around, and so, and again, our, our circle, I drew our circle back up here because we see Israel, they're obeying God and everything's good. They get God's blessings. And then what happens? Sin creeps in, and before long they're disobeying God, and it got to the point where then God judges them, and then they repent, and then they get back to God's blessing again. And they start obeying God, and then they get God's blessing. The problem is that fits us too. <laughs> that fits my life. I can, you can put me in there. You can just put Bob up there instead of Israel. When I'm obeying God, then I get God's blessings. But when I go away from His Word, I disobey it, God judges me. Even now. I mean, I'm not going to be judged for my sins, but if I start doing things wrong now, I'm going to get judged right now as 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 a son, not as a sinner, but as a son. And so we see these patterns over and over. We need to learn from Israel. You know, sometimes we don't learn from from other people's mistakes. I really like to learn. I'd like to learn from other people's (laughs) mistakes because I don't have to go through it. Yes. But sometimes I'm so hard-headed. Like God's like, you say you want to know, but you're not going to know till you go through it. And so, you know, you, you stick your foot kind of in the fire and go through it. We can say the same thing with us. The things that Israel had is the same things that, that that somewhat applies to Israel applies to us. The only thing difference is they get a physical kingdom, we get a spiritual kingdom. Outside of that, they 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 mesh. They mesh together. Okay. So, uh, what's the thing about, I, I just found this was fascinating in the four month interval while, in the Old Testament, while they're, while they're harvesting and doing their crops and the wheat's already gone, the, the barley's already at the first, but the rest of their crops, their, their grapes, everything else is harvested in the fall. You got about a three to four month time span before the rest of the, before the rest of the, the feast in the fall. And yet right now, Time span is, we know Christ is coming soon and everything fits. We are the harvest right now. The harvest is great. You know, Jesus said in in the New Testament in Matthew, look out, the the fields are white, ready for harvest right now. That's us. That's where we're at. The the harvest is taking place between these feasts. And when Christ comes back, what what feast is he going to do first? Feast of trumpets because he's going to be gathering them all back in. Okay, so I've said all that. And so even today, in the fall, th- this church gets a little nervous. Because the nervous part is we're thinking the, rap- the trumpet's going to sound and we think it's going to hit on one of these. We think it's probably going to hit on the Feast of Trumpets. And so there's, there's a little... So when you hear people talk about, you know, the church probably will go out on the Feast of Trumpets, because God's going to call us out. Now, I can't be real dogmatic about that. And there is another camp that says, well, wait a minute, the, the, fall, the fall festivals are all for the Jews, and the spring festivals, even though for the Jews, the church was started on Pentecost. Everything takes place uh, for the Gentile church in the spring, but yet, so you got two camps. Well, Christ is going to come back in the spring, like at Pentecost, or not come back, I'm sorry, the rapture. The rapture will either take place at Pentecost or it's going to take place at the, uh, uh, Feast of Trumpets in the fall. And I've, I've heard people say both things. I've said both things. <laughs> I kind of teeter back and forth. But here's what's interesting is at, uh, the Feast of Trumpets is immediately, immediately after the harvest. I mean, the harvest just barely gets done. And boom, the Feast of Trumpets is there. So let's get going on the harvest. Let's yes. Get it done. So I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so um, uh, for us today, um, what do I want to say here? For us today, it's like, is there going to be a time span between the rapture and the tribulation. Let me ask you this. If we are the harvest and the, and the Feast of Trumpets happens after the harvest, why wouldn't we be out of here before the Feast of Trumpets happens instead of being a precursor? <clears throat> when we ride out on the last trump. <laughs> well... To my point here, I said in in the Old Testament when they were when they had the harvest done, they didn't wait. There was no time span between that harvest ending and the Feast of Trumpets. So, my point I'm getting at is, we don't know the time span between the Rapture and the tribulation happening. But when I go back and I look at all this and it, and and back with the Feast of Trumpets, it's immediately. After, there's no there's no time span between the harvest being harvested. So, but I don't see it. There's, I mean, once the harvest is done, they're in they're celebrating the Lord that the harvest is done. There's no time span. Does not the rapture set off the tribulation? Well, again, there's 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 different thinkings about different things. But what what I'm seeing from the old is when the harvest is done immediately. It's, they're doing the Feast of Trumpets. No time span. So in, in my life, I used to think, well, maybe maybe the church goes out at Pentecost in the spring because that's connected with the church. There's a four-month interval before the Feast of Trumpets and that's all for the Jews. But I said we're all mixed together. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm just throwing this out. I mean, Pastor Ryan could probably come in here and explain this 100% better than I can. All I'm doing is reading my Bible and seeing what I'm seeing. The book of Revelation on on Wednesday night, so come and do that. That would be a good question for him. Is there a time span between the rapture and the tribulation starting? According to the Old Testament according to what I'm seeing here, there's no time span. And I'm kind of switching back to the fall again because we are called out with a trumpet. And there's no reason why the church can't be called out at a trumpet at the same time the tribulation starts. Because again, there won't be a trumpet for the Jews until Christ comes back. They used the trumpet to direct (coughs) troop movements. Yes. And wear an army. It fits. Because in the book of Numbers we were looking at the reason why they had two silver trumps made. One was for moving the people and the other one was for calling for an assembly or calling for a festival. That was what we see. But yet, they're connected with Trump's. I'm just trying to put the connections together. And if you guys can see something else, I'm all ears. Okay? So, now, could could Christ come? Could the rapture happen tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. It (laughs) It could. But, you know what? I'll probably be more geared to September the the 1st. (laughs) <laughs> I would because I just see how the Bible fulfills itself and how it connects together, and so you you can't figure that out unless you look at the feast. You can't get things going, so that's you got to connect them back and forth. So I'm out of time, so let me get to the last part. I just I just find it so awesome that there's a harvest in between the two feasts, the spring feast and the fall spring. Okay. Uh, number three, the impact of the preaching. So, preaching God's Word produces, oh, I gave you all your blanks so far, right? Okay. I added the harvest, I think, in as a blank, uh, just this morning. Number three, the impact of the preaching, or the importance of the preaching. I should, probably should have said importance because I had import that would match my outline, the importance of the day, the importance of the feast, and I always try to have everything just laid out great, right? No. Uh, Let's get real. Uh, the impact of the preaching. The impact of the preaching always produces two things to the hearer. Number one is sorrow, and I should say the obedient hearer. It will either produce sorrow or it's going to produce joy. So when they read the law, when Ezra came in, in the book of Nehemiah in chapter 8 that we read this morning, it said the people began to weep. Why were they weeping? They were having God's Word read to them. That's what they wanted, it's what Ezra wanted. They just realized they wasn't doing what the law said. And it caused them to weep. And yet had to come in and then say, hey, no, no, this is supposed to be a day of joy. But you know what? When when the word of God is preached, it always produces those two things. Before you can get saved, you've got you've got to realize you've got to have some sorrow because you finally realize that you're a sinner and you're going to be judged on that. And then that sorrow produces the repentance to accept Christ as your Savior. And then what's that do? It produces joy. And so really you'll you'll go and, and the preacher preaches wherever it is. You're going to have some people where they're going to have sorrow as a result. And you're going to have some people that's going to have joy as a result. There's always a choice everything we do, but we see it. And we'll probably talk about that next week. So there's a couple more verses we could look at. I think I'll table that till next week, and we'll get into uh, uh, the sorrow and joy a little bit more and finish okay, the rest of the chapter. Question. You know, the people are there, and it says at the beginning they stood up. Were they sitting on the ground? Were there things to sit on? I've always wondered that. Yeah, I would imagine not. I think they had a pulpit which was it wasn't one of these it was actually a stage they called it a pulpit which got the people up so they could see them. i think they're just i think they're sitting okay but sitting like on the ground yeah like i they're think sitting they're sitting in india right and like jesus was teaching the people they just sat on the ground, on the ground. Yeah. they were just sitting there and then what the thing that you brought this up is really good sharon is when they began to worship they 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 actually bowed down they they raised their hands up to air and it up to heaven, admit God's in heaven, and yet they bowed down all the way to the ground, saying in in a act of submission to Him. So worship is acknowledging who Christ, who God is, and then humbling yourself, and then bowing down before Him. And we see every aspect that we need to have in chapter eight of Nehemiah. That's that is the pattern for. New Testament, Old Testament preaching—that's how it should go. So let's pray, and we'll, we'll get in, into the other uh, sanctuary. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, Lord. I just—I uh, just pray that uh, we can just see the truth in, in your in your words. The Old Testament in the book of Nehemiah of of how they how they fit to the Jewish people, but also how do they fit to the church? What is it that you want to teach us out of this book, Lord? And I pray that we would just glean from it. I pray that it would encourage us. I pray that it would give us uh, joy as well as assurance that, uh, that everything in your word will come about just like you have said. And Lord, we look forward to a trumpet shouting also. And Lord, uh, we, we just say come quickly, Lord, and may that trump sound even today. And we just ask Your blessing the rest of the day and the rest of this week, Lord. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.